More news from Europe. Once again, Colombia goes to the capitals of Europe for a review of the momentous events of the past week. In the course of this broadcast, you will hear Colombia's representatives in London, Paris, and Berlin. And first, to the British capital. Go ahead, London. This is Edinburgh in London. In talking from London, one is tempted to discuss the news of the world rather than the news of Britain. If for no other reason than that the news of the world seems to be a little easier to get at than the news of Britain. But Bob Trout and Elmer Davis, working from New York, where they probably have more complete information than is available in any other city in the world, are giving you far more completely than I can the general international picture. There isn't any late news of British military activity. And anyway, this war is likely to be won and lost on the home front as much as on the battlefield. So I'm going to confine myself to Britain's home front. The first thing to be said, then, is that Britain has voluntarily accepted a degree of regimentation which has pretty effectively eliminated the gap that existed between the life of the individual in this country as contrasted with the individual in the totalitarian state. We've been witnessing in Britain during the last few weeks a social revolution, the end of which no one can foretell. The people who went out of these cities on those first evacuation trains were the advance guard of a reversal of a system and a trend that's been continuous since the Industrial Revolution. Win, lose, or draw, the Britain that comes out of this war will not be the Britain that entered it. The honeymoon period in the relations between the evacuated and their hosts has ended. The stately homes of England are coming into first-hand contact with the human products of the society they've created. That contact will profoundly change the social, economic, and political structure of this country. Some of those children have been verminous. There have been complaints. Little groups of city people have stood around the crossroads in the country, oblivious of the beauty of that surrounding country, looking for the life and movement, the passing cars and buses that they knew in the city. Children's appetites have increased. Factories have moved to the country, and many of them aren't coming back. When this war is over, a house or cottage in the country and a little piece of land is likely to be not the dream of a romantic, but a social and economic necessity. I wonder if that reminds you of the National Socialist thesis of sturdy German families rooted in German soil. I don't know what's going to happen to those children, but here is to me a significant sentence from that highly conservative organ, the London Times. In speaking of the problems that have arisen in connection with the evacuation of children, the Times says how much easier it would be if they were lodged in camps. Children, wards of the state, in camps. And that may remind you of communist doctrine. One thing can be said with reasonable certainty, and that is that the business as usual, peace through trade, sound, courteous, conservative, class-conscious, muddling through Britain that we have known, will not be the Britain at the end of this war. 
the peaceful pattern of English life has been smashed. More than a few cherished traditions have gone by the board, and others will follow. What will replace them, I don't know. Now, a word or two about the press and radio during the first two weeks of this war. There has been very little effort to whip up blind hatred against the Germans. Broadcasting has been calm, cool, sometimes a little humorous. Not always very informative, but it has at least retained its dignity. A certain section of the press seems almost to have welcomed the imposition of censorship. For that censorship represents a release from responsibility. This war, so far, as viewed from London, has seemed unreal, obscure, and elusive. It's quite clear that the affection of the public has been transferred from politicians to soldiers. General Sir Edmund Ironside is cheered when he leaves the war office. But no large crowds gather to see Mr. Chamberlain or the Duke of Windsor. Soldiers and civilians alike seem to have wooden faces. The experts are baffled, and the political and military aspects of the war certainly aren't clear. I have the feeling that Europe tonight is like an express train, traveling at full speed. None of the passengers have been introduced to the engineer, and in fact, some of them aren't sure that there's an engineer in the cab at all. The machine has taken control. Today's news of the Russian invasion of Poland hasn't helped to clarify the situation in the eyes of Londoners. Official circles express no surprise. They're inclined to say that since the conclusion of the German-Russian pact, nothing would surprise them. I've talked with a number of individuals in London today about Russia's move. And I can only tell you that the individual comment is confused and divided. Perhaps I can do no better than to read you a statement broadcast here just a little while ago. Here it is. There is as yet no official British comment on the new situation created by the Soviet government's move against Poland. The move, however, has not come as any great surprise to the British and French governments. A meeting of ministers took place today, and the Prime Minister and Lord Halifax have been in close contact since the morning. A detailed report from the British ambassador in Moscow is expected. Until it arrives, and until reports from other British representatives abroad are received, it is premature to try and estimate the attitude of the various governments and other bodies concerned. Even the attitudes of the Polish and Russian governments have not yet been fully and precisely defined. As many other governments, religious bodies, and different peoples of Europe are affected, any attempt to answer the many problems involved would be misleading, if not actually mischievous. And that's the end of the broadcast statement that was made here tonight. Now, I'm not making any predictions, but I am saying that there is as yet no evidence which leads one to believe that the British will take drastic action. Nor is there any evidence that they propose to demand a definite answer from Italy concerning her relations with her Axis partner. No one can be sure just what sort of war this is going to be. 
But if it's to be a long-range war of exhaustion, I would suggest that you watch British political developments very carefully, because that kind of war isn't exactly in the British tradition. And it's conceivable that there might arise a get-on-with-the-war movement, which, from a political point of view, might force military action that would be very costly. And don't forget that this war has already been termed over here the Boer War. That's B-O-R-E. I'm not going to speculate about the reasons or the ultimate implications of today's moves by Russia. But that move has focused British attention a little more directly upon the action to be taken by our own Congress in Washington. The relief here seems to be, and I like to say that no one in these days can speak for Britain, but the belief here seems to be that the arms embargo will be lifted and that eventual American participation is not to be ruled out entirely. One paper reports that Britain is developing sand lords as well as landlords, and profiteering is a matter that's likely to be dealt with in the House of Commons this week. On the financial side, if the forecasts are accurate, a number of people are due for a shock when Sir John Simon introduces his war budget. Well, that's just about the end of the impressions of one rather bewildered observer at the end of... <clears throat> I'm sorry, at the end of the second week of this war, an observer working in an atmosphere that is certainly contagious. There is still a minority in this country who continue to think and question. Their numbers may decrease, may be cut down by hatred and frustration. If that happens, it will be my duty to report it. So long as I am permitted to sit behind this microphone and talk with you each Sunday afternoon, I propose to try to talk about those things that must play some part in determining the sort of Britain in which people are going to live or die. At the end of this second week of the war, these people seem to be calm, more than a little confused, not entirely confident of the wisdom or incisiveness of their political leadership but convinced that they are in this war in the defense of certain principles involving in some vague and undefined sort of way both the dignity and the freedom of the individual, his right to make his own decisions, even though those decisions and the decisions of his government may be lacking in foresight and without proper regard to the rights of other men who live in other countries. If I'm able, once each week, to give you something other than spot news, give you some glimpse of the hopes, dreams, hates, something of the temper of this country, I shall be satisfied. And now, for the news from Paris.